Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, the absolute uh, privilege of being here in, among your people on this Lord's Day. And, and, and it's been proclaimed Pentecost Sunday throughout the church liturgical calendar when we acknowledge and we refresh, are refreshed to think that in the fullness of time, Lord, you became a man and you lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins and you rose victorious over death. And you, Lord Jesus, ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And in your tender mercies, Almighty God, you poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church. And by your work, Holy Spirit, we live out the reality of Christ. By your abiding presence, we are changed from glory to glory. But by your energizing action in our lives, we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and we just thank you. And we bless you and we praise you for your work, Holy Spirit. And we plead for fresh anointings, empowerments, manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So bless us now, we pray, O oh Lord. And uh, let us meet with you continually in this worship service. Thank you for these great hymns and choruses that point us to the reality of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Well, recently we had a uh, in-house retreat as uh, elders and deacons and senior staff, and we read an article by a man named Tim Keller, and he talked about the importance of clearly stating the church's vision time after time after time because people are sometimes slow to catch on. He wasn't talking about you, but just other people in general. And so I, I, so I, I want to just on this Sunday just talk about who we are. Each church has its own personality, its own calling under the banner of Christ. And I, I believe that it's important to have what I call a 30-second elevator statement that you can communicate with people in 30 seconds, a snapshot of what you want to say about a specific issue, especially uh, a vision statement. And so let's say we got on the elevator and we're going to the sixth floor or seventh floor, whatever, 30 seconds long takes. And um, as you're in some elevators here in Charleston, you know, you're, you're just closing the door, very slow elevators. So somebody says, you know, what, tell me about East Cooper Baptist Church. And well, you know, we, our purpose statement is we were equipped people to pursue Christ passionately. So that they can impact the culture. What does that mean? Well, very quickly, we only have 20 seconds now. Very quickly, there are five statements. Number one, we are biblically based, and we believe that the Reformation was a recovery of the glorious gospel of Christ. And so we stand in that tradition. Number two, we are a, a church who believes in being missional locally as we use our, our gifts to impact this community. We're a church that believes in being impactful internationally. We believe the gospels go to the ends of the earth. Number four, we believe in the, the, a rich community and relationship is absolutely essential. And number five, we're transgenerational. Have a good day. Okay. Now, I, I want to unpack that for you this morning, just talk to you about, about who we are. And we have to constantly remind ourselves, this is who we are. This is what we're about as a church under the banner of Christ. So, so the first is this. We, we're a church who, you know, we're an equipping church. We love the Word of God. And we believe, believe the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, and as we pray and seek the Lord, 
the Word of God conforms us, it transforms, it shapes, it compels, it rebukes, it challenges us to be the people God has made us to be. And so we are progressively conformed to the likeness of Christ. And when we talk about being biblically based, we believe the Bible alone is our authority. But we also believe that, that in, the, in 1517 to about 1660, that's, that's a pretty broad swipe, there was something called the Reformation, when the church was reformed. And we believe that the great reformers like Luther, like Calvin, like Knox, like Zwingli, that, that they, they once again discovered the purity and the joy of the gospel of grace that was clearly enunciated by the Lord and his apostles. And so we think the, the Reformation was a, a glorious recovery of the gospel. So we are unashamedly people who stand in the stream of that particular period of history as we, as we stand on Scripture. And in your bulletin are, are the five solas of the Reformation. They had five rallying cries. Sola, Christ alone, we're saved by the work of Christ alone. The Scripture alone is the standard for the believer, not the dictates of men or church tradition, but Scripture alone. Number three, salvation is by grace alone, through the work of Christ alone. Sola fide, we're justified by faith alone. There's, there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. We, we cast ourselves upon the mercy of Christ. And we say that the only way I can ever stand in the presence of the throne room of God is because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He is my substitute. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all this goes to the glory of God alone. That was the five souls. That's who we want to be in our teaching ministries. But when we talk about Christ being central, here's a statement. We have ten core values, and this core value says this. as a passion for the person and work of Christ. Jesus Christ is the center and circumference of the Christian faith. Therefore, in every aspect of our ministry, the focal point will always be the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our primary message will be Christ's redemptive work upon the cross as our substitute purchasing our pardon by his shed blood, rising victorious over the grave. This is who we are. We want to be centered on the person and work of Christ. We we want to say with the Apostle Paul, for I resolve nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. And to say the same thing that Galatians 6 says, but it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We want to be centered on who Jesus is in our teaching. We, we, we want, we want to, 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 every aspect of ministry makes a beeline to the cross. This is who we are. And we're also a people who believe, if you go down and says, dependence on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Today's Pentecost Sunday. One of our core values is a dependence on the leadership of the Spirit. And the core value reads this, without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand Scripture, we cannot produce lasting spiritual change, and we cannot live to the glory of God. And therefore, our cry should be continuously, Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Apart from your energizing grace and your tender mercies and your fresh empowerment, we cannot live for the reality of God. And you see, here, here, here's, I, I don't want us to grow safe, secure, and sedate in Christ. Um, It's easy, church, it's easy to just get in in the flow 
of life and, and become somewhat sedentary and somewhat fixed instead of continually crying out, God, change me. God, use me. God, by your spirit, knock off the edges and, and compel me and push me. And, and so this is one of my favorite quotes. So I, I quote this frequently. This is from a little book by C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory. And Lewis says this. It's a, it's a long paragraph, but listen. He says, the New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And to nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire or usefulness, we would say, or even happiness. If, if there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing. I submit that this notion has crept in from Immanuel Kant and the Stoics and no, has no part with the Christian faith. And listen, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's, that's just powerful. And so, so I as we, as we think about what we teach, yes, we teach this, but, but it must be energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. My favorite preacher of the last century, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, is Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welchman. And this is what he says regarding revival. Now, now, now if you have a, a Baptist background, revival is something you have the second week of October and the third week of April. And that is a total, that's just stupid it's a misuse of the term it's a misuse of the understanding in scripture you don't plan revival you pray for revival and god comes by his sovereign grace upon his church god comes down see revival historically the church is going along like this you know like the old hymn showers of blessing around us the raindrops are falling but for the showers we plead yeah we, we, we get some raindrops but we plead for the monsoons so the church goes along and then god by his spirit comes down and the church is inflamed for a month or two months two or three years and, and god does more in in a period of weeks than than is normally done in 30 or 40 years and we should plead for revival we we need revival every every indicator that is either going up and that's in a bad way like national debt or, or going down in a bad way like whatever literacy rates or out of wedlock births are going on. You know, it's just all the economic, I'll see all the indicators are going the wrong way in almost every situation I can think of. We need revival. We need the Holy Spirit to come upon the church. And we need for the church to be a mighty 
movement of God in every community around this world. We need revival. And what happens when you're in the midst of a culture that is, to quote Robert Bork, slouching towards Gomorrah, you know, when you're living in a culture like that, you just don't understand how bad it is until you step back and you read the indicators. So, so this, is what, this is what Lloyd-Jones says about the incredible need for revival. He says, the inevitable and constant preliminary to revival has always been a thirst for God. A thirst, a living thirst for a knowledge of the living God and a longing and a burning desire to see him acting, manifest himself and his power, rising and scattering his enemies. And so that's why we must be a church that seeks God with hearts that are broken over sin. And hearts that are inflamed with love for Christ. Not just knowing things, but knowing things under the power of the Spirit. The Heidelberg Catechism was a confession written in 1683. Anyway, German, old confession. And 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 the question is, question 116, why, why do Christians need to pray? Why do Christians need to seek God? Here's the answer. Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God gives His grace and His Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking God for them. God only gives His Holy Spirit in power. See, every, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. God only gives His Holy Spirit in power to people who, who, who seek him and who groan inwardly saying, come Lord Jesus, how long? Oh God, have mercy. Oh God. Some of your greatest prayers are when you're just, you've hit a wall and you just get on your face and say, oh God, in the name of Jesus, have mercy. And I, I sometimes wonder in my life, I'll let you, do I groan, do I groan enough? Am I groaning? Or am I just satisfied? We need to be aflame with truth because of the Word of God. Now, let's keep, let's keep on going. Um, the, the second thing is we, we must be people who we believe in being missions-minded locally. Locally. We'll be a missional church locally. The scripture that was in the bulletin says, but, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. We, we need to represent Christ in our community. We need to represent Christ to our, our, our family members, neighbors, coworkers, and friends that we see all the time who, who are unchurched and don't know Christ. We, we are called to represent Christ where we are. And God has gifted us. Here's a verse in the bulletin from 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We've been called out of darkness into his light. And so we're called to be involved locally in the local body of believers, using our gifts to extend the gospel out. 
And so here's the core values in the bulletin. Because every believer is responsible in the stewardship of life to use their spiritual gifts, it is our challenge to equip each member to use their giftedness in doing the work of the ministry to the glory of God. God has gifted you to represent his name. He's not gifted you to to just be marginally involved and occasionally give a few bucks here or there. He's gifted you to represent you in your family, in your communities, in this culture, in your work, whatever he has gifted you. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. If you're, if you're a Christ follower, that's who you are. And you're to represent him. And because of that, you're to use your, your, your life in, 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 in the stewardship of time, talents, and resources. I, do, I, I, do, I think tithing, giving 10%, is a biblical norm. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's what we want to do. We want to see the kingdom of God expand and grow. And it happens in part when God's people understand they're set apart for a purpose. And, and, and when people just come in and go out and they don't get involved, and they don't get nursed, they don't stay in Scripture, they don't get in strong relationships, it, it, it just doesn't happen. So I, I plead with you to understand we're to be missionally locally. And there's a passage here from 1 Peter chapter 4. It says this, it talks about using your spiritual gift. And to me, the, the whole section is a block of truth. It hangs together. First Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. People without Christ, people who, who think that we're the impersonal plus time plus chance, and when we die, we become food for the worms. There's nothing special about man. There's no special purpose for man that they're just floating. They just spend their time on their pursuits and they're happy and whatever they want to do. They just, they just do, do whatever they want to do. And, and there's no purpose. There's no compelling vision. There, there's nothing, there's really nothing to, to truly motivate them beyond personal peace and affluence. That's who they are. We're different. We look at each other day after day. We should say, Hey man, the end of all things is near. You have 20, 30 years, if you're in good shape, maybe just two years. But whoever you are, I don't care if you're 15 or 95, the end is near. You're going to face God one day. And you're going to give an account for the way you've lived your life as as a blood-bought believer in Jesus. Love before time began. How are you living it out? The, the end of all things is near. Therefore, you be, don't, don't just float along like, like the vast herd of people going down the broad road that leads to hell, man, Jesus says. But, but you, you be like the, the, the band of pilgrims on the narrow road that leads to life. Therefore, you be clear-minded and self-controlled. Be clear think, think correctly. Think correctly. You be self-controlled. Don't let your passions rule your life. You think correctly and you let your passions be under the Lordship of Christ so that you can seek Him. That's it. And then, as that happens, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Aren't you glad you're not married to somebody who keeps a checklist? 
And if you are, God bless you. Really. Don't, aren't you glad your kids don't keep a checklist? Your friends. Because, because see, the love and the mercy of Christ shed abroad in the heart covers over stupidities. It gives the guys a second chance, a third chance, fourth chance. Love each other deeply. When you're clear-minded, self-controlled, and you look at Christ, you love each other deeply. And he says, and you offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You just care for people. When all that happens, this is, this is what feeds it, or this is what feeds the previous statement. Either way. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, let him speak as if it were the utterances of God. If anybody serves, let him do so by the strength that God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So you, you, you get a, a vision of who Christ is and what he's done for you, and, and you realize that life is, is, is a vapor, is your, your, and then you stand before the living God, and, and therefore you love each other. And you care for each other. And, and you step back and say, you know, I, I've, I've received a spiritual gift or gifts. And I'm to use it in serving one another for the common good and the advancement of the kingdom. If I, two examples, he said, if you speak, speak as if it were the utterances of God. Let your, just, if you serve, do it by the strength that God supplies so that Jesus might be glorified. And then I'm telling you, there, there, there's nothing... Being a pastor is like being a coach. I just like sports, so maybe I can just kind of dream here a little bit. When, you, when you're a coach and you've got an athlete that leaves it on the field every day, I mean, every day they go out and they just leave it on the field, they work hard, you want to pick that kid up and hug him every day at the end of the day. There's nothing more frustrating than seeing an athlete that has 4440 speed and can bench press a house, and he's not worth as my dad says, he's not worth the dynamite it would take to blow him up. He does nobody any good. He's lazy. He doesn't listen. He's not coachable. It's, it's, it's true here. You see people who just do it. And they give their money. And they give their time. And they give their energy. And, and they're... they're, they're they're just there. And then you see other people that come in and go out they, every fifth or sixth week and they wave at you at Walmart and they send you a Christmas card. And, and you know God wants to use them, but they're not doing it. Man, it's frustrating. Get off the bench. That, that's who we are. We believe in missions globally. These flags... We, we, we want to give more and more mission money to send people out. Our missions committee has established a goal, a prayer goal to see X number of people sent out from our church every year to go to the ends of the earth. We believe that men and women without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ have an eternity of judgment awaiting them. Therefore, we want to send people out to, the, to Calcutta or to Afghanistan or to unreached people groups in Argentina. We want to send people out. We want to be missions 
globally. And part of what we do, we've adopted this years ago as a church, but we have a, a Barnabas network. Really, it's Barnabas nationally for pastors and Barnabas internationally. These are people that we are intentionally in touch with. We send them books. We fly them to places to be refreshed and encouraged and built up in the Lord because we want to be a church of influence. And as, we, as we're able to, to support these missionaries and these pastors, we're able to walk with them in the way of faith. One of the great and daunting realities, especially in, in international missions, is people go to the ends of the earth and people forget about them. We want to be in vital contact with men and women who have gone out from us or whom we have adopted to encourage them in the way of faith. And it's, it, is a, it is a joy. Uh, several times the elders have voted to take discretionary income or budget surplus to, to sponsor a, a conference for missionaries where they can get together and worship. 150, 250 missionaries get together just to worship and sing and pray and seek God and hear the word of God. And time after time they said, that was like refreshment to my spirit. And that comes as a vision from this church. To, to be missionally, globally. To give to world missions at Christmas called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. We, we, we want to be, we want to go to the ends of the earth. We just had a team that, a medical team that went to Morocco. They're, they're back now. Our, our high schoolers are going to go to Puerto Rico this summer. Our junior highs are going to Asheville, which is another faraway country, um, a subculture in North Carolina. I mean, seriously, we have a, a missions. We have a, we're going to we're going to sponsor and lead a conference for missionaries from North Africa this summer. Um, there are about two hundred and so people will get together. We'll do childcare and music, and I'll preach, and it's going to be in Switzerland. I'm sorry, it's going to be in Switzerland. I feel very, very silly saying that to people, but they chose the locale. We thought we were going somewhere in North Africa. and said, no, we're going to go to Switzerland. So great, missions in Switzerland, but we're going to go to Switzerland. Somebody's got to do it, okay? <laughs> um, and next year, we're, I think we'll be going to uh, work on the group in India. But it's, uh, that, that's just who we are. And I applaud this church and their missions vision. But it comes from taking the mandate of Jesus with stark honesty and sincerity. So that's who we are. And then the fourth thing in this elevator statement, the elevator's broken down, by the way. All right, the elevator's broken down. Maintenance crew's on its way. You'll be here soon. The, the fourth thing in this elevator statement is that we believe in the importance of community and relationships. The, the core value here says... It is our desire to so structure our ministry that we encourage relationships to grow and flourish in an atmosphere of love, accountability, and mutual encouragement. Another core value environment of grace says, convinced of the absolute sovereignty of, of a holy God, we understand that nothing good happens in our ministry that is not the result of his grace or his unmerited favor toward us. Consequently, our ministry together must be characterized by the same grace in our response to one another, the body of Christ, community, the importance of webs of relationships. 
the importance in Hebrews 3 of, of see to it, brothers, that no one has a sin, sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from believing God. Or later in Hebrews 10, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let, let, us, let us consider how to do that as we see the day uh, draw, drawing near. The, the beauty of relationship. The beauty of men and women and boys and girls relating to each other as they see each other through the reality of Christ. The, ver- the vast importance of just being in a community group or a small group where people can pray for you and know you and, and just love you. I, uh, you know, what a privilege. Uh, my daughter got married last night and uh, married a godly man. So we're, we're, we're just thrilled. Our son was married last December. Uh, to a godly woman, so we're, we're thrilled. And it, I, I was just thinking about this, reflecting on the last few weeks as I was... But it, to me, it's... You're looking at the outside, from the outside, and you say, you know, uh, I was at a shower the other day for, for Will and Sarah, and just sitting there seeing really three generations of believing families who have been blessed by the Lord. And you go... This is really cool. And looking on the outside, you see, you see from the outside looking in, you go, well, there's some, there, there's, you're just a demographic expert. There, there's health here. There's just health in these relationships. There's, there's, there's joy. There's, they, they, they this is good stuff. So, so you, you step back and say, well, maybe I need, maybe I need to, to do some, be involved like this. Maybe I need to be involved, you know, because I, I can say with all honesty, thanks to you, thank you, church, that my, my, my son and daughter were both born in Charleston, our, our children were, and they've been in this church all their lives, and not once, listen, not once has anything happened to them that has caused them to disregard the name of Jesus, not, not one time, not once, and that's because people like you love them. And, and so you, you can look at that and you say, well, maybe, you know, in Greek mythology, there's a guy named Procrustus. And he was a highway robber. And he would get people and he would, he had this bed. And if they were too short, he would supposedly uh, make their bodies longer to fit the bed. And if they were too long, he would chop off part of the body. And it's called the Procrustean bed. And really, the Procrustean bed is a pragmatic argument that says, if it works, it works. And so you, you can look at the body of Christ and say, well, man, man it, it works. That's a terrible argument. That, that, that's not, thanks be to God, it works. But, but, but the, reason, the reason we do what we do the reason we're the people we are is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because there's an eternal God who's unchanging. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. We do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him 
from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard that voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. But, but what, what Peter's saying here is, he says, listen, guys, we're, we're, not, we're, we're doing this because we saw it. We experienced it. He's risen from the dead. So, so the basis of what we do is not pragmatic or, or it, it's, it's, it, it, it gives us better kids or it gives us happier marriages. That's not it. The, the, the solid reality is only Jesus. There's a writer from a small town in Georgia named Flannery O'Connor. I love Flannery O'Connor. She died in an early age. She struggled with lupus uh, all of her life. And, but she was a great writer. And she'd written a couple of well-known short stories. And she went to Manhattan. And she was, she, she was hosted and toasted by some of the leaders of Manhattan. And this little woman from Georgia, never married. And uh, she's at this lavish dinner party with maybe seven or eight couples and and they're talking about aesthetic beauty. And then they start talking about faith. It's a great story. And, uh, and, and as they talked about faith in a very generic term, some of them would go to a, a church and they said, you know, we, we don't, we occasionally go to this church. We, we don't believe anything they believe. But, but we just find that, that the symbolism is, is so beautiful. And Flannery O'Connor has been sitting there the whole time. She's kind of an owlish-looking person. Um, she said she she piped up, and the first thing she said, she said, "Well, if it's just symbolism, then to hell with the whole thing." I thought, "Amen." You know what I mean? If it's just symbolism, burning candles or whatever, if it's just symbolism, then big deal, big deal. This is blazing truth. This is who we are. This is life. Then the, the, the fifth thing, very quickly, is we're transgenerational. Transgenerational. I, every time we meet as a staff or elders or deacons, every, every time we meet, I think one of the questions we should ask is what are we doing for the coming generations? And I've said before, I'll say again, I'll, I'll try to make this PG, but as I get older, and I'm getting older, and I'm not the only one here getting older, as I get older, uh, I, I've made it a vow that I will not sit around and talk about uh, how my joints feel or my digestive system. Nobody cares, okay? Really, they don't care. I, I don't. I hate to be that way, but I, I'm sorry, your joints hurt. You're getting old. I mean, that's going to happen. You get a new body one day in glory. Praise be to God. You know, one day we'll all look like Ted. And that's a good thing, you know. But uh, seriously, we... So, so I... What about the next... You see, that's why as a church we've intentionally structured ourselves to have a vital children's ministry, Steve Tuck. And he just does a great job. And, and then middle school with Danny Beach and high school with Jonathan Chapman. College with Joshua Mine and singles with Steve Heron. And because we believe the future is there. I, I, I was just thinking this week about some, some little kids I saw this week. Or I, um, I'll talk about our school in a second, but I, I share a restroom 
with the first and second grade, excuse me, first and kindergarten boys. And uh, uh, so they're always in the bathroom. They're always in the bathroom. They're, they're always there. And their, their, their teachers are, are, are females. And so the teachers are standing outside saying, please hurry. They're very kind. Please hurry. But those little boys know that that teacher's at their mercy. <laughs> She's not going to come in here. This is the men's room. And I mean, it is party central. They are, <laughs> they are having water fights and chest thumping and, and, and please hurry. If you're right, you know. And, and so I'll go in there and, uh, and, and they're, they're, I say, how, how, kindergarten, how, how school? Oh, man. It's not much fun. I say, here's what I say to them. This is really mean. So guys, just think. 16 to 20 years, you're done with this school. <laughs> of course, they can't count that high, so it doesn't really. <laughs> but but you, you think, you think I'm, 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 I'll be dead soon. But man, these kindergartners, 20 years, they're the leaders. 25 years, they're the leaders. So I, we have a school here, Panamento Christian Academy. These seniors just went on a mission trip to Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, Dominican Republic. Had graduation Friday night. How many? 19. You know, we have from um, preschool through high school, 580-some kids here, sharpening them for Christ to send them out. That's just who we are. We're transgenerational. I I told the elders, I said, every time, I think think transgenerational is a new word. Because every time I try to type in transgenerational, it corrects me, it goes to transgendered. So we're not that. Okay, so please don't get confused with that. You know, we're we're transgenerational, but you know this this is who we are. You know, thanks be to God. I I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the Universal Church. I, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, or the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the communion of saints. I was, I was moved this morning when we, in this room we sang this uh, song by the Gettys. It said, it says, so Spirit, come put strength in every stride. Give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. As saints of old still line the way. Hear that? Still line the way. A great cloud of witnesses. Retelling triumphs of His grace. We hear their calls and hunger for the day. When with Christ, we stand in glory. Hmm. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you for the privilege of this day and the privilege of worship and the joy of knowing that life has purpose. And, and because we're made in the image of God, we know all people have dignity and all people are worthy of respect. And, and because we know that sin entered the human race and sin turned things upside down, we know we need a mediator whose name is Jesus. And I pray that we would 
preach that and teach that and our children and our children's children will get that and that you'll be honored father son and holy spirit on this pentecost sunday we pray come holy spirit lord may we daily get rid of anything that would uh, quench or stop the free flow of the holy spirit in our lives Use us, O Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.